Welcome to the next podcast from Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me for this episode with Martine Henry. We get to talk all things hats with Martine, from her training at London College of Fashion and Kensington and Chelsea College, to collaborating with Stephen Jones for Dior, as well as creating her own style and ranges. I'd like to thank a wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, That Millinery, Hatters Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Lego, Hat Mags, Marie D'Antony Millinery, Louise McDonald Milliner, Millinery Australia, Best Western Apollo Bay Motel and Apartments, and Judith M. Millinery Supplies. I'd also like to thank our supporter patrons for their ongoing support of this series. You can find a link to each of our podcast sponsors in our show notes, either in your podcast app or through our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I'd like to invite you to sign up to be a Patreon of Millinery Info. There's quite a lot that goes into producing, recording and publishing this podcast. And a way you can show your support is by signing up to be a supporter of Millinery Info through Patreon. You can do this by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Millinery Info. This helps us continue to bring you the content you see and hear from Millinery Info. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Martine. Thank you so much, Martine, for joining me today on this Millinery Info podcast. It's so exciting to get the chance to talk hats with you today. Um, my first question, let's jump back to the beginning. How did you become involved with millinery? So um, I um, dance samba um, and I teach samba classes um, and I do that for Notting Hill Carnival. And one year I decided I was going to make um, a hat to go with my costume. Um, I had no clue, never made a hat before. So I bought one of those miniature top hats you know, the little cinema ones. And I didn't even know what the bias was in a fabric, covered it with this really stiff glitter fabric and put some gems and some diamante brooches on. And everybody went crazy for this hat. They were like, oh my God, that hat's amazing. And rather randomly, I went to um, a Mad Hatter's tea party at the Barbican And uh, this woman came up to me, a burlesque performer, and said, oh, I love your hat. Can I order one? You're a really talented milliner. And I was like, oh, milliner, millinery. (laughs) So um, I decided I might go and find out how to do it properly. And where did that uh, lead you to? (laughs) So I started off, I was working full time in publishing at that time. So I could only do evening courses or things at the weekend. So I think my first course was somewhere called Prescott and McKay. And they did lots of craft courses. They did, I'd done one there to make shoes before. And I made this little fascinator and I was very, I mean, it was hideous, but at the time, (laughs) I was very proud of it. And then I think I did something with um, Atelier Millinery. And I was the only person in the class. Uh, So that's probably the first time I met Georgina. And then after that, I hopped around doing little courses here and there. Sometimes there were classes on at the V&A. 
Um, and then I went to Morley and did a class, theatrical millinery class with Jane Smith. And after a while, I thought that wasn't enough. So um, I actually went into consultation for redundancy at my workplace. And I didn't get made redundant. And my team got made bigger and they were like, no, we want to keep you. You're so good. We're going to make other people redundant and we're going to make your team even bigger and not pay you any more money. And you should be really happy. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. So um, I was able to negotiate to reduce my hours and do a condensed week and uh, signed up for a, a BTEC at uh, Kensington and Chelsea College. And that was BTEC level one. How fantastic. Uh, yeah, so that was with, oh, I can't remember any, anybody's names, Mary Jane Baxter. And uh, yeah, so really enjoyed that, did that. Um, and I think that lasted that was like a, a, a full academic year. Still really enjoyed it. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave publishing and do it full time. And that's when I applied to do the HNC, also at Kensington, Chelsea. Fantastic. And when you do the HNC, is that uh, full time or how is that course structured? So the HNC is full time. For a, for a year and um yeah very it's very full-on I always say to people when they ask oh should I do the HNC course I always say absolutely it's really really good it's very immersive and you know you learn you learn so much meet lots of great people um so in my year there's quite a few people um, so I was with um, Vivian Lake. I think she's still making hats. Um, Iona Montgomery, she was in my year. Um, and uh, Sarah Kant was my tutor, one of my tutors. So, yeah, it was a really great, great experience for me anyway. Hard work, but, yeah, really good. Thoroughly recommend it. And as part of that course, did you, uh, was it skills-based or did you produce a collection? How, how did that work? The course, every term for the HNC had a different theme. So um, some of those you made a single hat and some of those you would make a collection. So the idea was that you would go through the process as if you were going to design a collection. So you'd have to do sketchbooks, do your research beforehand, do a sketchbook, draw up lots of different designs and then pick one hat that you were going to make. So there was a theatrical project, um, there was a felt project, there was a cut and sew project and then there was a summer project where you ended up producing a hat um, potentially for Phoenix of Bond Street and the buyer came in and selected oh, hats to go on sale, which was really good. And then the your final collection, which is where you make 
a full collection of five or six pieces. You had to do your research. There were several papers you had to write as well. And then the final exhibition. Fantastic. And in that Felt Makers, um, I understand Kensington and Chelsea work with the Felt Makers Guild for the Design Award. Did you have a piece in that? I did. So I was awarded second place. And um, actually, the design I made, made wasn't what I was supposed to make. So <laughs> my, <laughs> you know, sometimes in millinery, you have these happy accidents. Uh, so I had my collection was all about metalwork. And I was doing um, using gold foil on top of felt. And I'd bought this most beautiful, uh, you know, suede felt hood, you know, oh, gorgeous. You know, it's like they're like extortionately priced. And um, had to flatten it all out because I was going to do lots of hand shaping on it. Flattened it all out went to apply the foil and realised I had applied it on the plush side instead of the underside. And at that oh, point, no. that was going to be, one side was going to be gold and then the plush side would be felt. So had a meltdown, had no time to buy anything else. I thought, right, doesn't matter. The whole thing is going to be foiled both sides. And that's what I did. Boiled it both sides and in the end the effect was really really good and I had to use through my experimentation I worked out gelac was the best way to sort of seal in the foil so it ended up being rock hard and it really did end up looking like sort of a metal helmet so yeah and it was uh, one second place so it all worked out well in the end the journey they go on isn't it yeah <laughs> and after you graduated from the course what what was the next steps for your business did you launch in straight away or what happened um I didn't I kind of did and didn't so towards the end of the course um they have in people come in from industry to talk to you so they had um, Georgina Abbott was one of them. Um, they had, I can't remember everybody's names, but there was somebody who designed hats for um, Topshop and various other places. Um, Gina Foster was another person that came in. And at that time in my head, I was like, right, I know I want to learn from as many people as possible. And the two people that really stood out for me were actually Georgina and Gina. I thought I'd really like to work for them. I like their, their ethic, how they build their brands. And um, at that time, Georgina was looking for a Saturday person in her shop, which at that time was in just off Carnaby Street. Mm -hmm. And I went for an interview there and got the job so that was that was great because you saw the runnings of a hat business 
everything. They were doing courses at the time. I got a discount on materials. Um, oh, so that was a fun, yeah, bonus, fun place to work. And um, my final, at the final collection exhibition, actually a friend of a friend worked in fashion and she sent her boss to um, the show and just said, oh, go and see my friend's show. I know you like hats. And she really loved my work. And she um, commissioned me to make some hats and headdresses to go with her collection, which was sort of Mother of the Bride and Bridal. And uh, she was absolutely amazing, really, really kind because hats weren't her main thing. Um, she was very supportive. She gave me loads and loads of stuff. She had like hat boxes in her basement. And she's like, oh, we don't use these. Please have these hat boxes. So to this day, I've still got a stash of hat boxes she gave me. Um, she was clearing out her basement and one day and she said, oh, I've got this machine and I think it's something to do with hat making, but I'm not sure. Would you like it? it? It's really heavy. So I was like, yep, yeah, I'll take it. Turned up in her studio and it was um, a metal hat stretcher. So um, fortunately I've taken, a, you know, my, my uh, granny shopping trolley with me uptown. Oh, goodness. <laughs> this granny trolley and dragged it all the way home. And, um, yeah, it was just a really great, great experience. Amazing. And the pieces you were making in your collection there, how has it changed to what you're making now? So in that, for that particular collection there, it was very much about matching the designer's aesthetic. So she used a lot of lace and sequins and silts so she actually gave me some of the materials and I made something very specific so it was like a little wire um a wire frames kind of sort of 1950s <laughs> style band that was covered with lace and then had lots of crystals over the top and handmade silk flowers and some of them had veils and some of them some of them didn't and then also some very sort of very mother of the bride hat sort of disc shapes lots of sparkle and juge but designed specifically in um her colorways which were sort of um soft pinks baby blues cream ivory and gray so if you took those hats away from that collection they wouldn't really work but with with her collection and with her pieces they were they were amazing yeah they worked really well and so now in terms of what I make it's it's evolved quite a lot so when I worked um or when Atelier had a physical shop the the deal was everybody who worked there could also sell their hats through the shop as well so that was very much sort of mother of the bride hats as well mother of the bride mother of the groom people going to weddings and 
now I make more things for every every day. So more some more headbands, veils, things that you would wear to sort of either you could wear them every day, something you'd wear to go out in the evening or to sort of parties and weddings, but less less sort of formal. Yeah. And more Absolutely. dressy, if that makes sense. <laughs> and are you uh, a keen hat wearer yourself? I am. So one of the issues, it's not an issue, but I have quite, not as thick as it used to be, but quite thick Afro hair. So it's yeah. quite good that I'm a milliner because then I can actually make hats to fit. Um, so I find I like to wear headbands and turbans and head wraps. They're my sort of favourite things to wear. And a beret. I love a beret because <laughs> when I can't, believe when people say oh hats don't suit me I can never find a hat to suit me I always say well you've never put a beret on your head because a beret suits absolutely everybody it's just about how you position it and what are your tips when someone says that to you I don't like hats or I can't find a hat that fits me what's your what's your first response I always say just try try on lots of hats. You know, you don't often go into a shoe shop and put on the first pair of shoes and expect them to fit perfectly. And usually, you know, you know, we buy shoes more often generally and not necessarily for a special occasion so if you're buying something you know you're the mother of the bride or you're going to a wedding a, a big occasion just give yourself time to try on lots and lots of different pieces and then um feel your way feel your way through it one of the things I noticed sort of putting hats on people in a hat shop is their their posture really changes when they put on a hat that they like. You can just see it instantly. Suddenly their shoulders go back, the chest comes out, they start smiling at themselves in the <laughs> mirror and like pouting. I, I, they do what I call hat face. And I'm like, that's the hat. That's um, your hat. <laughs> that, that's your hat. And I also find that it's often good to go by yourself and do it because sometimes people take friends with them friends and partners and you'll see they're super happy in a hat they feel really comfortable and the minute their friend or partner says oh I don't like that hat you you see them physically shrink and it's such a shame because before that they were so happy and it really should be about a hat a hat should make you happy so if you feel good in it and you feel happy in it, then it's the right hat for you. Absolutely. That's such good advice. So do you have customers, oh, you've got your online store, do you have customers that come to visit you at the moment? I don't, know. It's just through online at the and moment. So, um, some people find me through search and some people find me through my Instagram. Yeah, that's great. And I guess it's shifted recently having 
well, COVID lockdowns and restrictions really changed that customer interaction, being able to see a client and have that experience of trying things on with them. Yes, it's, it's, it's really, it has really changed. I mean, one of the things that I have been doing in lockdown is um, working with somebody who's a, a stylist and doing some stuff for, for them. So had a project where um, she wanted me to design a wire headdress and we did it all remotely. She hadn't, she hadn't seen the model um, and the client just sent some sort of pictures, pictures of their logo and some pictures of some wire top hats and said, we want something like this. So in that instance, it was a case of drawing a quick sketch, sending them that. The headdress was for um, a football team called Ajax. And after I'd submitted sketches, I the easiest thing to do was to actually start making the headdress. So I would work on it a bit, send the stylist photos. She'd show the photos to the client. They'd come back with feedback. And we did it, we did it that way because as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, sort of making, there's no kind of going back with a wire headdress. So oh, it's um, pretty much one way system. Yes. So it was very much sort of do a bit, show them pictures and um, in some instances sort of drawing in the extra framework on my, pho- on my phone and um, that gave them more of an idea of what the finished piece would would look like. And um, yeah, in the end, they were they were really happy with the with the result. That's so fantastic and such a creative way of still being able to do that process. Would you normally sketch your, your work before you, you start? Um, I wouldn't. I, I must say one of the most traumatic things for me on the HNC was the sketchbook because I, I, I can't draw. I really struggled. Um, so one of the first... Um, things we actually had to do was um we did a life drawing class and um honestly there were some people who cried they were so stressed out about having to draw hats um but in the end my way of doing it was to take um take lots of photos um and um sometimes make things out of paper and then once I could make them out of paper, I found it easier to then sort of try and and draw them. And then one of the best things I can say, if you can't draw heads, once you finally sort of get your head um, that looks like a head, um, just, just trace it. And then found it easier to sort of do the flow. But... I find for me at the moment sort of sketching is a bit more of a luxury and you often don't have time. So what I tend to do is make a sample and work work on a sample and build up designs that way. Yeah. So you'll make um, duplicates of some pieces? I do. So one of the um, things that 
having worked for various different milliners, I found one of the really useful things is to always have a production sample that you keep in-house because um, even if you think it's a really simple hat and you would think, oh, I'll remember how to make that, um, or you take lots of different notes, and I do take notes as well, it's never quite the same. So I tend to, once I've done my sampling, then I've made my actual, yeah, this is going to be the finished piece. I'll keep that. And then if somebody orders a new one, I'll make a new one. So I've always got that reference. And it also means that I've got my own like wardrobe of pieces. So, you know, I always say to people, be your be your own ambassador, wear your, wear your own hats. It's a great way to sort of advertise yourself. Yeah. And so that means um, keeping stock on hand to make sure you can also reproduce that piece as well. Yes, absolutely. Which is um, now that I do more things like headbands and things in fabric, that's a bit easier. Um, I, I like to work with them. Um, some people call them African wax prints, some people call them Dutch wax, but it, it's essentially the same same thing. So I buy, that's sold in sort of six yard, 12 yard um, bales, as it were. So um, I'm not going to run out, basically. <laughs> There's so. plenty of fabric around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Every sort of cupboard and drawer that hasn't got you know life stuff in has got fabric moths are not my friend if I see a moth in my house I'm like Ooh. you mentioned that the use of the um Dutch print or the African print fabrics um how does your um Afro-Caribbean heritage kind of influence the the work that you do in your design aesthetic do you think um, it's definitely more than it used to. I think often when you start out in millinery, you feel like the only avenue is to make hats for brides, hats for mothers of the bride, and that, that's quite restrictive, or hats for ascot. And that's can be that's nice, but it can be quite limiting. You know, what are you going to do for the rest of the time? And while I like wearing those, I like to go to the races and wear a nice hat. You know, it's not it's not really who I am. And I wanted to make things that essentially that I like to wear and that I could wear. I like to dress up if I feel like you know, going to work and wearing a nice headband or going out in the evening and I want to dress it up, some nice earrings. Um, yeah, so that's really why I sort of moved in that direction. And it also influences like my material choices and shapes. I, I like to look at um, hairstyles. So if you look at my collection, I've got a design which is called a top like top knot and um it's like a literally it's like a top knot made of African wax print fabric all woven woven together 
um, and I've got another one which is called Bantu, which is inspired by a hairstyle which is called Bantu knot, sort of lots of little little um, bobbles. Um, so yeah, that's how my heritage come comes into it. It's really about the sort of design aesthetic, and I like to use more sort of natural materials as well, rather than you know thermoplastics or that sort of thing. I like I like the texture of things like wood, and I really love sort of just neutral Pinnock Park, neutral cinema. I just find it really pleasing, like calico, all those sort of shades and raw silks, they really appeal to me. And so when you're sourcing materials, what are the kind of the elements you're looking for in that? Um, one of the things, I think it might be a milliner thing as well, is they always say, don't be seduced by materials, but I I think we we all we all are. You can't help. It. So sometimes it's just a case. I just go in. I'm like, oh, I love that, and it's always the one that's like you know seventy pounds a meter. I'm like, oh, I'll have what? What's the smallest you can do? Um, so I really I love texture. So it's about how the fabrics. If it's fabric, it's about how they feel in the hand I, I'm not a fan of the sort of synthetic stuff or things are too sort of shiny that aren't supposed to be shiny if that makes sense I think it makes it can make things look a bit sort of cheap so I think I just have an expensive aesthetic or things that look expensive even if they're not um so yeah it's really about how the materials feel and how how they work as well and I like to use I like to use things like um reeds and I've recently started using um bark cloth as oh, well wow. um which has been which has been good it's it's it is literally made of um bark that yeah. has been stripped off off of a tree and then then pounded and although it doesn't really have a true bias it has a little bit depending on how you use it you find there's a little bit of stretch so in sort of smaller pieces you can sort of block it over something oh wow and how did you discover that as a material um, it was something that came up um, actually while I was on the HNC. So my final collection was all about um, the Amazon. And I was looking at the work of a botanical artist called Margaret Mee. Um, amazing woman, beautiful illustrations. Um, so she was a botanical artist. And I think at something like 70 or 80 years old, she decided to trek deep into the Amazon to um, catch this uh, plant that flowers, you know, once in a blue moon, and she was going to sketch it. So it's a very inspirational woman. And um, so I was trying to look for materials that had that feeling of being from, from the jungle, 
um and um I tried I, I think at the time I went to um Covent Garden flower market and I don't know if people have been but you have you have the flower market but you also have lots of other stalls within there that sell like random stuff and they had things like um coconut matting and oh all, all it's really it's really worth a visit I mean it's an early start but just to go and just wander around and have a pick through and um see what's there but the bark cloth at the time um so one of the other tutors on the HSNC um Kirsten Scott um she had been doing some work in Uganda and she brought me in a piece of bark bark cloth and said oh have a have a go with this and see what you think um and I really like I really liked it but at the time it wasn't quite right for the collection I wanted to design I wanted elements of the sort of wild but also a pristine element and the bark cloth sort of took it too far the other way so I kind of parked it and thought I will use that one day um and um yes recently I just um found somewhere that sold it online I thought oh let me have a another go and uh yeah started to use it. It. oh wow how exciting what a what a journey to to, to return back to to that fabric yeah yeah um you got the chance to work with Stephen Jones on a collection for Dior could you tell us a little bit about that how did that come come about and what was the process so um I worked for Stephen for about just under two years and that was again something that roundabout way came from the HNC so I got the job with Georgina by a recommendation from somebody on the HNC. Then I got a job with Gina Foster and uh, by recommendation from the HNC. And then when Gina closed her shop, um, Stephen was looking for somebody and Gina recommended me to someone at Stephen's. So it's all you know, make friends with everybody you meet in millinery because you never know. You never know. <laughs> and so I worked um, in the Miss Jones workroom, which was really cool. Um, and so there are, I don't know how much people know about it, but there are sort of three different workrooms. There's a Miss Jones workroom, there's the model millinery, and there's also the cut and sew and the machinist. So everybody works in those areas but you also help well not the machinist area but you you help out so the people in the miss jones workroom will sometimes help out with model millinery millinery and vice versa so um we we sort of kept in touch and saw each other at london hat weeks and what have you and then he he um called me out of the blue and said oh i've got this um project and I think it would be really good if you worked on it. So I was like, oh, okay, sounds great. <laughs> um, and uh, went to a meeting at his atelier. And at that time, didn't know it was for Dior. 
he couldn't tell me who it was for at the time. So he just explained that it was going to be about um, turbans and head wraps and that it would be using African wax print fabrics. Um, and the brief at the time was, they weren't really sure what direction they were going to go in. They, he just explained that it was going to be a large catwalk in a big open arena with about 80 models. And they wanted to have something on most of the models. And at that time, because it was a quite a big space, they thought they might want to start off quite small and then end up with something quite big. So that was the initial thinking. Um, so I left that meeting and then we had a second meeting. He said, okay, um, well, I'm going to introduce you to the client. So again, at this time, didn't know who it was, turned up to this studio in North London and um, saw a sign on the door that said, Dior, and I was like, mm, okay, but still didn't know. Stephen turned up, walked into this room, and there was this full-on uh, photo shoot happening, models wandering around, and um, yeah, I was in the middle of this um, Dior photo shoot and got um, introduced to um, Maria Grazia, the head designer, at Dior, and then she told me a bit more about the project so I was just there like oh, you know playing it cool but inside going yes <laughs> um and um met the models I'd come prepared so I thought I don't know I didn't know what was going to happen at the meeting so I'd brought some some stuff from my collection obviously I was wearing a headband very good <laughs> and uh super lovely she was like oh I love it can I try it on so she was trying on my headband then she was grabbing some models come on put this on putting the model models in my headbands and stuff it was a really um a really nice experience and then after that um they said okay we need you to produce some samples and so basically the brief was start small and get big, bigger and that's it that was it um so I started with a headband and then made some um some head wraps and then quite an elaborate turban and this was all in the space of so this was 2019 and it was around the same time that the hat week was kicking in as well so hat week is always super busy um so i was sort of preparing for hat week and doing this at the same time and i had about four days to come up with my samples um and being the over planner that i am um i sort of did the designs wrote um, notes on how to make them, made patterns, so delivered, you know, this folder with patterns, notes, samples. So I think I made about six 
in the end and you know had had very little sleep but you know when you're just working on pure adrenaline and um I think just before I left I sort of grabbed this headband that I'd made ages ago which was um wax print fabric and it had a wire in the middle and I was literally wearing it because I thought I felt I needed to like hold my hold my eyes open and hold my face up because I was so tired so I was like scrape the hair back put this headband on and just hold the face up so I don't look you know exhausted and um delivered them to Stephen and um he said, oh, I like what you're wearing as well. Can I have that too to take? I was like, yeah, fine. Took it off, gave it. Not, not the automatic facelift. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the face just dropped. Um, and um, he took them to the team at Dior. They re- reviewed them, picked the ones they liked. And then um, we had a little bit of to and fro. And they were like, yeah, we like this, but, you know, could you make it a bit wider? xyz um and then they picked the ones that they liked and then they produced them at uh their atelier and i got to go to marrakesh to see the show which was fantastic very very cool um nearly missed the plane but um (laughs) So <laughs> uh, what happened was we weren't, we weren't sure where we were flying out from. So at one point we were going to fly out from um, Gatwick and then it changed at the last minute. We were going to fly out at Heathrow. And for some reason I still had in my head Gatwick. So I went all the way to Gatwick. <gasps> and the minute I got to the station, realised it's not Gatwick, it's Heathrow. I had to turn round absolutely just barrel across London to get to Heathrow. It's not a short trip. Actually <laughs> closed. And I was like, I've got, I've got to be in Marrakesh. I've done this thing with collaboration with Kristen Dior and the woman like took pity on me, opened the gate, let me through and the flight was actually delayed. So I was made it in great time. So it, it was destiny that I, I was on that flight. You got to see your hats on the runway. Yes. Yeah. Really good experience. We sort of got there, um, got to be backstage, see the models, see them kind of getting ready. We had front row seats as well. Oh, wow. What an exciting, what an exciting project to be involved with. It was, it was amazing. It was really, really, it was really, really good. Fantastic. And what are you yeah. working on at the moment? What's coming up? Uh, so at the moment I am working on doing some accessories. So to go with um, the head, headbands and hairdresses. So some bracelets and some earrings that will be coming out soon. And um, just starting to think about, I don't do sort of autumn, winter, spring, summer, traditionally. I found when I first started out, that's how I used to 
operate and I found you you sort of end up with hats that you know if they don't sell at the end of the season you just end up with all this stuff and yes you can take it apart and remake it but often you don't so I tend to have more of a sort of permanent collection of things um so when I say I'm thinking about spring summer next year it's not necessarily tied to the season it's about sort of just growing the collection in general and do you have your pieces constantly available or you do set release kind of a release of a couple of pieces at once how do you manage that um I tend to I might make them all in one go if I have a sort of theme that I'm carrying through but then sort of release them um intermittently it's not that I'm trying to you know be Beyonce with like here's my latest drop it's more you know when you're a one one person show you do everything you do the sampling you do the making you do the shopping you build the website and it just so turns out that sometimes um you can only sort of update one or two products at a time on the website because that's what you've got time to to do so yes thank you so much Martine for joining me today to talk it's been wonderful to hear about all your wonderful creative adventures oh well thank you for having me it's been great to talk to you Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery Info with Martine. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'd like to thank our Patreon podcast sponsors for their support of this series. House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, Be Unique Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, That Millinery, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Lico, Marie D'Antoni Millinery, Louise McDonald Milliner, Hat Mags, Millinery Australia, Judith M. Millinery Supply House, and Best Western Apollo Bay Motel and Apartments. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes, which is in your podcast app or on our website. If you would like to become a Patreon of Millinery Info to show your support, there are two tiers. We have the podcast sponsors, which we thank their businesses in each of our monthly podcasts, include a link in our newsletter, and invite you to find out more about their businesses. We also have a supporter tier, which is a little more than shouting us a coffee a month, and it's a way that you can more quietly show your support so we can keep producing the content you see and hear on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about becoming a Patreon, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.